0: All right, that's that settles it. This is the beginning of the Eric Anderslang Show. One of the rare episodes where we have three people talking. Um, let's start with uh, Blake, alphabetically speaking. You're next, <laughs> and and the situation of the chairs here. Uh, Blake Mikoski, how do you how do you introduce yourself to people who have no idea what you do? Uh,
1: I typically uh, explain that I am uh, the founder and chief shoe giver of Tom's Shoe Giver. I like that. Yeah. and...
0: I wore my toms today.
1: I appreciate that, and you're wearing them with socks, which is what I'm told is what all the cool kids are doing these days. Isn't that really? Like, that was unintentional. No, seriously. When I when you walked up and you had this outfit with the socks, I was like, like he's in the know. I have no sock. I have the same toms on, but no socks because <laughs> I stick to like originally. And I always thought like no socks. like so- socks are weird with toms. But now all like the age like from like 16 to like. 32-year-old cool kids that work at Tom's or interns, they all wear them with socks. That's so, so interesting. So you're, you're right in.
0: You know, I, to be totally honest, it was a complete mistake. I, <laughs> I, I put the socks on, and then I and then I put the shoes on. I was like, yeah, I should wear the Toms today. That's right. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't planned out. Yeah, you look great. Um, <laughs> And then maybe you can talk about uh, Mac, who's sitting next to you. You guys have a, a relationship. I'm curious to learn more about that, but Mac is sitting next to you. He's the third member of the podcast today.
1: Yeah, Mac and I met a couple years ago, and he's the founder of UGP. Uh, which he's gonna get to talk to you about, and uh, I'm a big supporter and mentor and friend, and um, it's been awesome.
0: Very cool, Mac. Uh, any? What's the gossip on Blake? Let's get real. What's the, what's the gossip here?
2: What's the gossip on what? On, on Blake.
0: <laughs> what does he got? No, I'm kidding. Um, you, uh, you, you were you were generous enough to host a party, right? That I had
2: over at UGP. That's right.
0: Um, how do you define UGP? I mean, it's it's a
2: little. I, I try and define it, and I feel like I always mess it up. What do you call it? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's essentially it's everything you would need for golf performance, uh, for training your game under one roof. Um, golf instruction, club fitting, club building, uh, fitness training, uh, and then like health and recovery services, like all under one roof. So like you're part of a college golf team and the kind of things that a Division One program would have, all under one roof together. So it's like, like for us it, amateurs, you yeah. <laughs> didn't get a college scholarship to golf or get a chance to play pro.
1: That's right. We
0: it's like
2: feel like pros.
0: Is it like summer camp for like wannabe astronauts kind
2: of, you know, it's like uh, a little bit like that. That's could, a good, I, yeah, <laughs> I like that. Right.
1: Yeah. No, that's a great, I mean, you go there and you get to totally geek out on all things golf and you get to block out the world, your stress, your kids, your work. I mean, it's, that's why I love it. Is it like an indoor country club on some level?
2: In some regards, you know, in a lot of ways, it's it's really an academy, you know, an, an institution where you can go in and you can train, um, and on a regular basis, something that you're doing, you know, two to three times a week for your for your wellness, for your strength and conditioning, for your technique. You can check on your equipment. You can have custom equipment built for you on site there. So it's it's really just a full you know full scope golf performance service and and academy Um, but what's interesting is i know guys that come only for the
1: massage and body work stuff really yeah because they're like these are the best in town and so they just get in there and just get work done the that's that's a large well i I would assume also a
0: golfer's massage is probably different from yeah it's more
1: physical therapy than massage like it's really about getting your body moving better so it's less about a relaxing moment actually it's kind of painful
2: yeah yeah. Well, and that's the cool part. I mean, we've got two locations, one in L.A. and one in Orange County. And, you know, both of them have teams of about, you know, 12 to 15 staff members per location. And you have golf professionals. You have physical therapists. You have fitness trainers. You have master club builders, master club fitters, um, all working together for each individual client or member that's coming in the door. Right. So that's the nice part about it. Nobody's independent contractors. They're all full-time employees, and they all work together and collaborate. To be able to provide the best member experience possible and get people better at golf fast. And I found out because I'm lucky enough to get to play in the
1: AT&T program. Awesome! Uh, I played in it nine years now in a row. My dad caddies for me. I mean, it's like talk about golf heaven. I mean, it's we totally geek out. We rent a house on the second hole. We like invite all of oh, our that's friends. Great. And um and so I met Mac, you know, three years ago in UGP, and I always always looked at like January as like my get ready for Pebble month, like. Super busy with two kids, work, travel, that, you know, I don't get to play a ton of golf, but I always try to play a lot before the tournament so I don't embarrass myself and maybe I even have a chance to to make the cut, and which I've done three times out of nine. So 30% cut making is is, is pretty, I'm pretty proud of that. But three years ago, I I learned about UGP and it was great for me because I just go one place and kind of work on everything. And, And I spent a lot of hours there.
0: Well, then you probably maximize your time in a lot of ways. Exactly.
1: Yeah. You're not driving, especially a place like LA, right? Like if you're going to go, you know, first you can go to the gym and then you got to drive across town to maybe have, you know, swing coach. And then you want to go, you know, get this done. It, it can be a real pain in the ass. So the nice thing about, you know, doing them in big metropolitan areas where there is a lot of traffic and typical providers of these services would be spread out. You can just go to one place and then, you know, one or two hours knock it all out. Right. I was uh,
0: I was like, there's so many things I wanted to talk about real quick. But... I like this tattoo first, you like the that triangle with the that's yeah. a, that's I have a
1: triangle a... right here. Oh, I can't see it, but right there. Yeah. And my son's name is Summit, so oh, okay. The triangle's kind of his oh, I symbol. Like that. Yeah. This uh, for if uh, this
0: to some people means I'm a lesbian, actually. Really? Yeah, but it's that's actually, I'm not a lesbian. Okay. I mean, I am. I'm into women exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> uh, to others, it's uh, it's it symbolizes I don't drink. Oh really? Actually, yeah. So sober October has been the last seventeen years of my life. Okay. Yeah. So cool.
1: So it's is that an actual like universal symbol that like yeah. people see that they don't even
0: Yeah, it's it symbolizes uh like membership in a twelve step program, yeah, which cool. I'm I don't talk about too much specifically yeah. aside from you know being sober. I also don't do it as much as I used to, but the idea is that uh huh. the circle is supported by Unity, fellowship and service. Yeah. And um I think that I might have fucked it up actually. It's been a while. Anyway, I still don't drink, so that's the good thing. Yeah, but, that's the most um, important part of it was, the story. It was actually the first tattoo I ever got. Yeah, I love it. And uh, the ta- apparently there's a superstition about getting that. Because, I mean, not everyone stays Stay sober. Stay sober, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, a I job. have a lot
1: of friends that are sober, and, and they're very involved in A, and it's been an amazing yeah. organization. Yeah, I love I the so. I love the, or the origin story of it. It really is good. It's incredible.
0: And it's kind of one of these few things on Earth that is uh, not-for-profit. Yeah. Which yeah. is... Yeah. <laughs> Perfect segue into the next subject. No, I mean, that's a big part of <laughs> yeah, your life. No, sure. seriously. I mean, that's, yep. I, I, I couldn't have planned it better myself. Yeah, um, You, well, I guess first before we go there, because you are a big uh, giver. Yeah. Like shoe giver. Mm-hmm. More than that, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but you.
1: But uh, I also do, believe in profit. I, I, like you've got you yeah. to make money to, to do good in the world
0: well and you have interesting ways of, of uh, breaking down how that works I've sure. heard I, I really like those ideas but we, we first have you ever heard that quote from the Buddha about uh, the leather and the road and the shoes yeah it's a great T- one tell it to me I feel like you live by this in some ways
1: yeah it's great so there's this great there's this this uh, I forget uh, who he was, but this you know famous king, and he wanted um, to uh, only walk, he wanted his feet to only touch the most softest leather whenever they wherever he walked. And all of his people, they were thinking about spending basically all the fortune of the kingdom and, and, and not spreading any of the wealth to the people who need it the most, and like hoarding all the wealth so they could pave all the streets in leather. And... And I forget who recommended this, but instead, just with like absolute, you know, perfect clarity said, Instead, why don't we just strap two pieces of leather to your feet? <laughs> <laughs> and you will always walk in leather. Right. <laughs> and so that's I think the quote is, you know, from the Buddha or from you know, I forget but it's 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 such a great point. Is that you know just by thinking things a little bit differently, um, you can you can totally change your perspective.
0: Does that relate somehow to how you've approached business? Because I mean, we were in the yard here. We're in a teepee right now. First of all, yeah, you're, we are you're in a teepee in Topanga. If you're listening, we're in a teepee in Topanga, which is somewhere between Malibu and Mars. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Uh, and uh, but but you know. Anyway, we're, we're, we're in the yard talking about it and you were saying that you used to live on a sailboat between a sailboat and an air mattress, which, you know, may not be exclusive, but, um, you know, from what I'm understanding, you, you have a pretty interesting, um, like framework for doing business, which may not be all that quote different, but ends up in a radically different product. Can you, is, 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 can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, my philosophy, um, you know, I started my first company, I was 18 years old, dropped out of college. And I recognized that I had a gift for being an entrepreneur, um, you know. And I how like, did you recognize that? Because like when I was nineteen or twenty, people would would label me a, a young entrepreneur. And so I looked up the word. I didn't know what entrepreneur meant. <laughs> I, lo- I literally looked it up at nineteen years old and read, and I was like, Yeah, that sounds like what I want to do with my life. Like you know, seeing opportunities where other people don't, creating a business that can then generate you know revenue, and then creating the type of businesses that I could go play golf and it still makes money or I could be sleeping and it still makes money and that's really what being an ultimately being an entrepreneur is about Versus if you're my dad's a doctor and so he always says like he's not making money unless he's using his hands so if he's playing golf he's actually not only not making money from the surgery that he could be doing but he also has the opportunity cost of being playing golf or being on vacation whereas an entrepreneur creates something that sustains itself and has an economic engine that continues to move whether you're there or not. I think I have to leave this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go figure some shit out. <laughs> so I, so so I created this laundry business when I was 18 years old, and it started making money whether I was there or not. Laundry business, a laundry business. Um, I mean, backing like up just fluff a second. And fold? Yeah, kind of fluff and fold, dry cleaning. Backing up a second, I wanted to be a professional tennis player. That's that was my whole life growing up as a kid. Interesting. And so I went to the tennis academy. I moved away from home at age fifteen. Like I was just myopically focused on becoming the next Andre Agassi. And I was pretty good. Like I was top one hundred in the country in singles, top probably twenty in the country in doubles. Um, I went to SMU on a partial tennis scholarship. Like I wasn't. I mean, in, in reality, I was never going to be, you know, the next Roddick or Agassi, but I was, you know, a really good player. And so I learned a lot of the things that have helped me in life, you know, discipline and commitment and, you know, a sport that you're by yourself, just like golf, you have to figure it out. And, um, but my sophomore year in college, I um, had a partial tear to my Achilles tendon and I was on crutches for like six months. Oh. And if you're on crutches, it's really hard to carry your laundry down to the basement of the dorm where you do it so think about that like it's impossible to do take laundry somewhere on crutches and so it piled up piled up in my dorm room my roommate didn't like it much and ultimately we came up with this idea that a lot of people don't like to do laundry so we'll create the first ever pickup and delivery laundry service for kids at smu i was just in dallas literally two weeks ago, and I was driving by this campus, and the trucks are still running. 22 years later, my first business is still going. Now, I sold it years ago, but it's nice to see that this idea I had as an 18-year-old, now as a 42-year-old, is still cranking out and, and doing people's laundry. So that's where it started, and that's when I discovered this idea of creating something and building something that provides service where other people maybe didn't see an opportunity. But besides that, one of the things I loved about entrepreneurs as I learned more about it is the ones that were successful typically made a lot of money. And the ones that I had got to meet in Dallas and that started to mentor me in my early 20s, not only did they make a lot of money, they also were really philanthropic. And I thought that was the coolest thing. Like, I just thought this is amazing that you could build something, make a lot of money, have a lot of, you know, nice experience in your life. But then, like, actually, like, really change people's lives, whether it's in sub-Saharan Africa or it's in Detroit or it's in downtown L.A. And so there was something that just, like, I I just, at age 20, committed my life. I said, I'm going to make as much money as I can, and then I'm going to spend my 60s, 70s, and 80s giving it all away. And I literally wrote that down, like in my journal, like at age 20. And I was like, I want—I'm just gonna like crank and work so hard until 60. And at 60, I'm gonna give it all the way until I die. And that was my goal. Are you? Is
0: everyone in this room like insanely inspired right now? Are you, Mac?
2: Of course. Yeah. I mean, he's—he's uh, he's an amazing guy, and he's—it's—I uh, love the philosophy. It's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's, uh, it's inspiring for sure.
0: Yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, and and it's funny because when you know, a lot of people say a lot of things kind of like that, like, you know, actually, um, a lot of people say a lot of things like that that you can kind of see through on some sure. level, you know. Now, Tony Robbins is the one I I hear him a lot, and he's like, you know, one of my favorite things about him is like you just you uh, w- the idea is to help as many people as possible, yeah. Right, that's one of his yeah. fundamental. You lost a lot. Yeah, and and you know that inspires me. Yeah. Right. And and um, yeah, it's cool. This is it's cool. You know, it's so that was the
1: start, but then what? Really, radically changed was when I was 29 I'd started a couple of businesses just trying to make money some were somewhat successful some were total failures but at 29 I was down in Argentina and I saw all these kids that didn't have shoes and I was um, I was really like I had like this desire to help them but I didn't have the resources yet I hadn't made enough money to really help them philanthropically um, and so the idea I had was, you know, what if you actually combined the two life plans, like the zero to sixty life plan of making money, and the sixty to maybe ninety life plan of giving away money. And at twenty nine, at thirty, you know, right before I turn thirty, what if I just combined them now? And so I create a business where I try to make money, but every time I sell a pair of shoes, I give one to a child that doesn't have shoes, and. If I could build a for-profit business doing that at the same time of helping people, then I wouldn't have to wait till I'm 60 to have that joy of giving. And it was a really small idea. You know, I came back with like 250 pairs of shoes, just like the ones you're wearing right now, and like duffel bags, making them in people's garages in Argentina. And, you know, I had no idea that it would become what it has become. But when I started Toms, it was like, okay, like my goal is to get maybe a thousand kids a year a pair of shoes, and I'll go to Argentina and give them away.
0: That was the goal.
1: That was a the goal. Thousand. A thousand. What number are you at now? So we've given eighty-seven million. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Eighty-seven million, yeah. That's insane. Yeah, we might hit a hundred million next year. Wow. So yeah, it's 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 blown away anything that I imagined. So um, I
0: guess I I want to make sure. Hang on, where are we at here? We get. Yeah, everybody, hang on a second. We're going to go to a quick ad, and then I'm going to ask them about golf. Everybody stand by. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town, where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. Yo, all right, the Adidas, y'all, get into it. I know you may have seen those sick NMDs that I was wearing the other day, the Gore Tex jams. Um, anyway, here we go. This is from Adidas. Get the year and your golf game off on the right foot, quite literally. We all know a good golf swing starts from the ground up, and luckily, Adidas has you covered. Tour 360, Adi Power Forged, Adi Cross, Adi Pure, all with boost. That's with a couple extra O's in there for pleasure. The best cushioning in the game, I can attest to that, Uh, but also all designed to perform on the course, so all you have to think about is your swing, which is definitely complicated enough. If you're like me, head over to adidas.com, click on the golf section, and find the style that's right for you. You can also follow Adidas Golf, at Adidas Golf, for all the latest news and info. Check it out. So when did you uh, actually, did golf come in around the Achilles heel?
1: No, well, so golf because really, you're a
0: massive, massive golfer.
1: I love golf. Yeah. Is there
0: anything you would do other than <laughs> golf, all things equal? Yes, yeah, surfing, surfing. Yeah, okay.
1: yeah, I would say there's three things hobby-wise that I just am passionate about: right. surfing, playing polo, and golf, and maybe snowboarding.
0: Polo is the wild card. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah.
1: one. That came from Argentina. I polo learned on when I was horses, doing yeah, gangster.
0: <laughs> all of a sudden, you became James Bond. For a while, you were someone else, and you just became James Bond. Do you spend time in a submarine ever? Do you ever go <laughs> to deep sea? No, not yet. Uh okay. You know what, Polo? I don't know if we're gonna get to that on the podcast today. <laughs> I just don't know if I have the bandwidth for that. But uh the golf and surfing. <laughs> but golf and surfing, you know, we got it we got Kelly Slater and Adam Scott, obviously, yeah. uh big proponents of both.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um I... how do you how do you straddle the gap between golf and surfing?
1: You know, it's really seasonal for me. So I play a lot of golf, you know, kind of leading up to the AT&T program, which I love doing every year. And I play a ton of golf in the summer. Um, my family, live; we live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming in the summer. I do a lot of climbing, too. That's another hobby of mine. And so in the summer, it's basically climbing, polo, and golf, just rotating every other day. Jeez. And so a lot of, lot of activities in the summer. Now you might be Ralph Lauren. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, that, and so for me... In the summer, it's like all about golf. And then usually, like January, February is all about golf. And then in between, it's a lot of surfing. And then when I'm here, you know, I, I live eight minutes from Topanga surf break. And right. I like going up north of Santa Barbara and surfing up there a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, so for me, it's it, it also surf is really dependent on other waves. You sure. know? So, like, all things equal, I mean, in, in all honesty, like, if I had a game of golf set up with a Mac, And we saw a big south swell coming. I would cancel golf and go surfing. No shit, because I respect that. No, but because you can't like you don't have a great swell every day, right? Usually in LA, the golf courses are pretty good every day.
0: You're pretty, yeah. You're pretty set. I mean, rain you might cancel. You would cancel golf for rain. Yeah, you know, but I kinda I mean, like playing in rain. I wouldn't. I would yeah. like to play yeah. in the
1: rain. I like playing in the rain. So so uh, but you know, actually I guess... you like to go places and practice in the rain before pebble because oftentimes you have to play in the rain. Ah,
0: there you go. No pre- amateurs are practicing you're in the rain. You're good at preparing, that's yeah. good. Important business about preparation. Um you I, I'm looking at surfing and I'm thinking oh, it just sounds so much easier. You just chuck oh, the board okay. in the car, you drive over to the edge oh. and then you jump in and then you're done whenever you want.
1: And you typically don't have good and bad surfing days. Like, your surfing skill level is pretty consistent. Like,
0: And is it necessarily, like, do we, if you, if you for example, do you, a lot of times when you leave the golf course, right, are you unfortunately tethered to, not a score necessarily, but maybe just ball striking? Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely. Or losing a match or winning a match or yeah. losing a bet or winning a bet. And so you take that but away I've gotten with you past in the car. That. I mean, honestly, like, I used to be, I'm very competitive, but I think now... Like my my relationship to golf, maybe it's becoming a dad, and maybe it's just spent like spending more time, like being more mindful. Like I am so grateful any day I get on the golf course. Right. Like I really have a deep, like a deeper relationship with golf. It used to be so about winning and competitive, and I think that came from my tennis experience. Right. Um, but now it's like I just don't take any day for granted. Like any day on the golf course is a good day. Right. Yeah.
0: Do you, Max, do you, since you're now entered, were you, well, you and I met at Wilshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were, we, we were members there together for a while. <laughs> I, can, I canceled my membership. I can't stop talking about it. It's like an ex-girlfriend that won't oh, answer no. my calls. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> I, uh, I actually felt real free now, you know, because I have time to do whatever I want. Um, but, you know, we met there and, uh, you know, we've, uh, we have a lot of friends in common. Do you, do you find though, because I sometimes find this as working in the golf industry, it it kind of can keep me from playing golf to some extent. Do you find that, Mac?
2: You know, I, yeah, in some ways. I mean, I find myself where, you know, the game can feel a little bit like work. And I, I think that, I mean, for me, that dates back to when I was a teenager. I mean, golf, trying to play professional golf, collegiate golf, that sort of thing. Um, you know, grinding on the range. So the burnout was pretty strong for me as a teenager. Um, yeah. And uh, I went through that whole program. That's kind of why UGP exists is is uh you know when I was I was also like Blake too trying to become a professional athlete and I went to IMG Academy and trained there as a kid and um, went through the process of you know
0: can you explain IMG Academy for people who don't know what it is IMG Academy is basically like uh, that is like NASA school for like the real Neil Armstrong's
2: It was yeah I mean that's kind of where the first ideas of UGP even came to my mind was having you know golf instructors and fitness trainers and physios and we had you know competitive, competition planners we had you know golf psychologists there um and we just practiced every day you'd go to school from you know eight till you'd go actually you'd start out at the ipi dome which is their integrative physiology dome you'd go and work out with all the other athletes at like six in the morning and then you'd go to class from like eight to twelve and then they'd bus you in a drop to the driving range now they have a course Sick. on campus but bus you on the drop to the driving range and you would practice until you know, 6, 7 o'clock, and then we'd get back to school. You'd have study hall, and you'd go to bed. And I, it was just I, repetitive like that, just preparing you for college sports and for the professional. Does that sound... As, is that as fun as it kind of sounds? You know, I... The academy was awesome. I mean, I made friends from all over the world. You're there with like people from Spain and Korea. You, I mean, it's just like right. this international academy. Of, it's, it's elite. You it can't was, just get in. Yeah, it was inc- it was an incredible experience. You can just get in. You could just pay to get in. Dang. Um, you know, and it's really expensive. I think it was like maybe 35, 40 grand a semester. Whoa. Wow. So, um, you got to make some cuts. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. had some kids on scholarships there, like, you know, um, like Casey Wittenberg, who oh, okay. had the lowest finish as an amateur. I think. Um, Paula Creamer was there on an also really? on a scholarship. Um, and so but yeah, it's just, you know, you're it it is amazing. It was an amazing experience and it, it came to fame from the tennis academy, from Nick Boloteri, and then and then David Ledbetter came in and built his academy, and then IMG's, you know, completely taking it over, and I don't think they have any labels of instructors there anymore. Hmm. Um, but when I was there it was a David Ledbetter Academy. But yeah, it was it was incredible from the standpoint of you know, getting that kind of exposure and training and and training with all the best players. I mean, I was working with Gary Gilchrist at the time, who was the lead instructor, who still works with Paula. Okay. And um, Julieta de Granada and all these different players, LPGA Tour players. And um, Michael Campbell had just won the U.S. Open. Okay. And so you're you're, you're going to take your golf lesson, you know, you're – which is almost like twice a week kind of thing. Jeez. And um, Wow. I he, couldn't handle that managed instruction. <laughs> instruction. That's a lot. It was a lot a of lot instruction. Of it was a lot of instruction. It was a lot of mirror work. It was a lot of swing thoughts. It's crazy. And that's the way that David Ledbetter sort of taught in that whole program. And it works for some people, and for some it really kind of takes away the love of the game. And I would uh, go on the range, though, and he's working with Michael Campbell, and then Michael Campbell would walk away, and I'd get in there. And I'm like, I, these guys obviously know what they're talking about. Yeah. Right. Michael Campbell just won the U.S. Open. But, yeah, it did. It just it, it kind of made golf not fun. It made it, like, work. It made it, like, a chore. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of swing thoughts. I went there as, like, a plus three, you know, pretty elite junior golfer. Hard for me to really shoot above par to within the first. Hang on.
0: Hang on. Sorry hard for you to shoot above par. Yeah. Just want to just want to really put a yeah. highlighter on that. Yeah. I mean it was Guys, if you're driving, you can pull over. Mac did just say that it was difficult for him to shoot over par. Okay, back to where we were. Go ahead. Well, and
2: it was like it, golf golf was easy and it was fun, you know. And that that was the thing. It was easy and it was fun and it was a game. Right. and i loved playing it and when i went there it became work and within the first they're like you got to rebuild your swing you won't be able to play college golf yeah they took a you out draw. of the low draw and put and you in like a, you gotta in hit a high, high fade Ugh, um gross and i couldn't i literally was like getting up and down from everywhere to to be able to break 80. you know oh and um i remember my dad came out and watched me play a tournament like 60 days after i'd been there and uh down at Champions Gate in Orlando, and uh he showed up and he was like, What is I'm like pop skying drivers, like I'm standing over the ball for like a minute. He's like, What has happened to you? Oh no. And so it took me a while to sort of like get the game back. Um, but it's yeah, it's I think ever since then, for the last like 20 years, I, I really haven't enjoyed golf. I'm like finding my way to enjoy it. So you talk about like how it's work for me. It was it's actually like I really have a deep love for the game. I'm trying to find it. Almost like right. UGP's like a way for me to try to find my love for the game again.
0: Well, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, you're maybe undoing some of the things that happened to you, right, as a kid, like, uh, with with new people, right? And you're allowing them to go through the way that maybe it could have gone for you. I don't know. I'm putting words in your mouth, but the idea is maybe UGP is an opportunity, kind of like Blake has had, to... Maybe not put shoes on golfers, but to maybe supply them with the best game that they can go out there with.
2: Yeah, and I, I think me and Blake have talked about that a lot, and you know, um, in aligning our stories, it's just you know, there's there's so much from you know, swing thoughts is is getting rid of swing thoughts and making making golf fun, and I I think for me that's why um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an ideal person to run an academy like this and in an institution like this because I'd had that burnout and that bad experience. And I've had, yeah, you know, you multiple. I've had multiple feel. ACL right. reconstructions as well. So I've had my ACL redone on my left, you know, that was also right in high school. Um, and, um, right before I went to play college golf. And so that the, the knee surgeries, the physical therapy that ensued, the swing thoughts, like, you know, equipment, um, all this stuff where, you know, I, I have a lot of empathy for, for the for the player that wants to improve and, and gets bounced around and, and actually gets worse.
0: So, um, you know, sitting here with two pretty legit entrepreneurs, right, uh, working both separately and together to do awesome things. One of the questions I get a lot is, like, kind of, uh, you know, people um, admiring my job, which is sort of a weird job that I fell into. It's a
1: pretty S- awesome job.
0: Kind of similar to I've your job. i admired it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's really meaningful yeah, to hear. No, thank no. you. I appreciate that. You know, it's funny because I look at um, when, when you explain that the two biggest aha moments of your life, Blake, come from uh, looking at a pile of laundry and looking at a barefoot. Yeah. Like, that's pretty powerful. You know what I mean? Like I almost really think about it, like in the in the movie of your life, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever whoever Michael Keaton's kid is at the time, it's <laughs> <laughs> gonna play you. I just see them literally, and like I see it in slow mo. The camera kind of wraps around, and he's there in Argentina, Argentina, yeah. and he just sees the foot. <laughs> maybe it's got an ugly toe or whatever, and you're just like, I want to put a shoe on that foot. You know, like I don't know, but like for me, I look at those moments, and well, maybe they seem so obvious now. Right, but but looking back on it, what is that ability in that you have that quote makes you a good entrepreneur? Not necessarily in carrying it out, but in recognizing the um, opportunity yeah. there. Because anyway, the, the, the background is I get a lot of questions, from people. How do I get your job? Yeah, sure. And I'm like, I don't fucking know. Yeah, it would kind of be like saying to someone, how did how, sure. how do I get your job? It's like, yeah. well, I don't know. I just saw a problem.
1: Yeah, so I'd be, be interesting to see if you would reckon, you would um, say the same thing. If you, if you thought about how you created your job and how I created mine, I always say that like it's recognizing like a small thing that you love or want to do and just kind of doing it and not worrying about is this a business, is this a company, is this going to work? Like, I mean, when I met those kids in Argentina, like my initial goal was to put two hundred shoes on kids' feet, and like, and I wasn't sure. And I, I didn't even open up a bank account because I didn't think it was a business. I thought it was, you know, this is something fun I'm going to do as a project. We called the Tom's Project originally, not even Tom's business. I like that. And so that could be the elite sort of line. Yeah, Wait, it, so you didn't? You didn't? I didn't. Set you didn't, you didn't run business. home and be like, no.
0: "I got a million dollar idea." No,
1: no, 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 no. no. I had another. That's, I hear that a lot nowadays. Yeah, I yeah, got a million dollar idea. See, I think that's the differences, and probably you know, when you had your first idea to you know make a video about you know traveling around the world playing golf in interesting places or meeting interesting people it was probably your curiosity and like hey this would be fun like maybe i'll make some money but what i really am going to do is i'm about. fucking awesome time yeah yeah you know, at least that's what i get by watching
0: yeah, watching you exactly. so
1: so so just the same thing i was like okay if i can sell 200 pairs of shoes come back at christmas how fun is it going to be to give all these kids a pair of shoes and plus i loved argentina i mean i was single i was with beautiful women there right. i was having a lot of fun like you know i was learning to play polo all these things so it was like this was like an idea that was going to, A, be very gratifying in helping these kids get shoes. It was going to be a lot of fun. And it just turned out to be an incredible business. Right. So I think that what I tell people all the time is, like, if you set out to create a business idea to make a lot of money, almost 90% of the time that fails. No one chooses to be an entrepreneur. They become an entrepreneur. And they become an entrepreneur because they see a problem in the world that they want to fix. Maxie's... All these amateurs burdened by swing thoughts, not able to get all the best instruction, training, et cetera, in one place. So he has a passion to help, you know, amateur golfers. It turns into a business. UGP. You know, you had a passion to travel, tell golfer stories. It turns into business that you have today. Same with Tom's. And so I say, like, like, if you look at the great companies in the world, all the big brands. I mean, whether it's Starbucks or it's or it's Apple or it's whatever. Like, you know, Steve Jobs wasn't like trying to come up with a business idea. He was like fascinated with how computers could change people's lives. You know, St- Howard Schultz was in Italy, and he's like, "Why don't we have this beautiful espresso experience? We're drinking fucking Folgers." I mean, yeah. you know. So I'm sorry about all the cussing. No, I, know I had a fucking Starbucks this morning, and <laughs> okay. I fucking loved it. <laughs> I don't know my audience. Um, so, anyways, but but that's I think that's like literally I speak so many places. It's such a joy for me to share my experience with others because so many people have helped me. But that's the one piece of advice I'm so consistent on is like if you if you look at entrepreneurs, you say that's the lifestyle. want that's what I want to do I say stop thinking about being an entrepreneur and start thinking about what do you want to change in the world what's not working and it could be my coffee machine's not working or you know I want to have a a better fitting pair of jeans I mean who doesn't man doesn't have to be a lofty goal like I want to help children from suffering but that's how you become an entrepreneur that's how you actually create the dream job
0: I feel like you you must have like a little like hat With just like five hundred (laughs) ideas, I do get a lot.
1: That's the hard thing is that once you've seen a few of your ideas turn into businesses at work, then you can sometimes develop, you know, the overconfidence that any idea you have is a good idea and that's not guys. what's the
0: worst idea Blake's come up with like I'm oh, dying of that
1: I mean really we should bring my wife in here because she would be <laughs> she, she might have a PhD in that in the answer to that she'll give so you have a, a journal
2: the yeah. straight talk yeah. straight. I mean the the I love I mean I love what he said and it's just that's really inspiring for me it's just really in, in doing a business if if you can start out with what value can I bring to the world or what value can I how can I how can I improve other people's life through a business and you're passionate about that it's really, it's going to be really hard to fail, especially if you're you know if you're passionate about it and you care about it and you really want to, you know, provide a service that, that that might not exist or a fragmented you know industry like golf and say hey, I want to provide a value, I want to improve the way that this is done, and um, obviously you got to have some talent behind it, but if you and, and some experience, but if you care and you're trying to make people's lives better, um, then it's just a constantly getting that feedback and refining the concept as you go along. Right. I mean, um, I have another example, and it ahead.
1: actually is golf related. So, my brother worked for me at Tom's. Like, he was one of the very first employees, and he saw the whole thing. I mean, the good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, he was sleeping on the couch, doing customer service. And, you know, after doing that for many years, he decided he wanted to go off and do his own thing. He loves golf. And one of the things he is like, spends all his money on is every year buying a new driver, right? <laughs> they come out, he like, can't, literally, he cannot keep himself from buying a new driver, even though it's 600 bucks. right? Right. And so he came up with this idea. He launched it like four months ago. It's called Dollar Driver Club.
0: So oh, snap. I,
1: did you, have you heard of it? You've heard of it, yeah. i am so, into it. Yeah, have you heard of it? Yeah. I know. Dollar a day, and you literally can have any driver, whatever shaft, everything you want, and then if you don't like it, you just send it back and he sends you a new one. So you never have to buy a driver again. But that came from his passion. He wasn't thinking like, oh, I want to come up with a great business idea. Like, I don't even know if it's going to make money. And I don't think he really knows yet. But it was like, I just want everyone to have the best driver and not be so stressed about putting $600 on their credit card.
0: I mean, I don't know about you, Mac, but I don't pay for clubs and I would join the Dollar Driver Club. Oh, yeah. Like, I just think that's a
2: great idea. Like, I mean, for least ta- Tyler, any driver. He just wanted to have the newest driver every month, so. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, but that's, I mean, you build the service because you, you know, there's a void that you feel is there. And, yeah. And, and yeah. What, who,
0: what's the movie where they say, see a need, fill a need? What is that? It's like a cartoon movie, isn't it? Oh,
1: um, it's like. Well, I, I don't know that that, but I think in Field of Dreams, build it and they will come. Ooh, that's a good one. Right. I need
0: to rewatch that. That's a great movie. Um,. Okay, Blake. Why? What What do you get out of golf that you don't get out of any other thing? I mean, because surfing must give you a lot. I don't polo. I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm afraid of uh, horses. I'm allergic to them. I, mean, I can't I'm afraid talk of about horses. It. I'm afraid of horses. I'm terrified of horses. If you're not afraid of horses, are you afraid of horses?
1: I I, I appreciate horses. All right, there you go. I'll take that's you have acceptable. Survey
0: says ding, thing thing.
1: <laughs> what do you get out of golf that you don't? What do you get? I mean, out of? one of the things that you get, and it's one of the things that I you know talked about with my dad a ton. It's like we just get time with each other. We get time off our phones. We get off all the dings and stresses and distractions and we get to, you know, spend 4 hours walking with a friend, connecting deeply and and at the same time having something that you can be competitive with and enjoy and so for me it's such sacred time on the golf course. And I think that's why now I'm less interested in always winning or winning the bet or winning the tournament and more interested in like, man, I'm going to get four hours of my dad and my brother today. Or Mac and I, I mean, some of our best meetings and strategy sessions for UGP have been when we go out and play golf because now... We're not sitting at a table, like, with like cortisol levels up, like stressed about like how are we gonna hit these numbers or how are we gonna do this? Instead, we're like playing golf and, and Max like, Hey, I've got I've got a really tough HR situation. You know, there's this person that's been with us for a while, it's just not working. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking of, this is how I'm gonna handle it and then I can be like, Well, when I First, started Tom's, like this is what I did. I had a similar situation. And so, we're able to, like, it's just an organic way to actually really be productive mm. and also build our friendship while, you know, trying to get this little ball in this little hole. Right. So, for me, I think that's one of the things I love about golf. Like surfing, you can sit out there and talk between sets with a friend, but you're like constantly focusing on is a set coming, is a set coming. And then, usually, you're in different parts of the lineup or whatever, and there's tons of other people out there golf you really get that that time together and so in the summertime when i play a lot a lot of my favorite golf is my wife and i'll go nine holes six pack of beer she likes to drink gin so she'll have like her moscow mules with gin not vodka and uh and she'll have a little pitcher of that and i'll have my beers and we'll go play nine holes and we you know, we stop talking about the kids and the schedules and all the stuff that we typically stress over. Instead, we just like enjoy the game and enjoy each other. And so that's what golf gives me the most right now: is time with the people I care the most about.
0: That's great. That's really important.
1: Yeah, I like that. It is, especially today. Like, there's so many distractions in our lives. Just
0: maybe a short answer, but does polo do that or what is it? <laughs> is meditation. Like, is it?
1: It's it's full on. Like, Whoa. I mean, it is. It is so scary. It is so fast. It is so intense and like literally if your mind wanders for one moment you're in big trouble and so it to me like i'll play a polo match and i'm physically just totally spent and it's totally exhilarating but then i get done and i'm like where did the last hour go like it's that deep of a meditation
0: i'm just thinking adventures in polo i'm just thinking, i'm just <laughs> like, we go how can we crack it i would love to teach I, you to ride a horse I and go hit spend the day ball with
1: him in dude can <laughs> yeah. we do that you okay. come to jackson and we should do polo mountain climbing and golf all in one day <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean I'm in. Yeah. Uh for I, sure. actually my parents had their fiftieth wedding anniversary at a Jenny Lake Lot. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's we went up beautiful. and I played uh I played Snake River. Yeah, uh, and I That's played. a hard course. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. lots
1: of opportunities to lose balls.
0: You know, what I really enjoyed was uh, uh, Jackson Hole Golf and Tennis. Yeah,
1: it's cool. Yeah, Jackson Hole Golf it. Tennis. Low key, all, all the views. That, all the views of the Tetons. My house is um, literally right next to Jackson Hole Golf and Tennis. Okay. On a ranch on that river right there, oh, and sick. so literally five minutes away. And then we play at Shooting Star. I love. Oh, yeah. pushing I didn't know. I didn't, but yeah. I, uh, Fazio course, yeah. incredible. Um, but yeah, we could have a really fun day. I love that. Of we could climb the Grand. Have you ever okay. done that?
0: Uh, no, Grand I have the Grand Teton, the Take sixteen thousand foot us, uh, yeah. like sheer rock face. Yeah, yeah. I haven't climbed that one yeah. yet. <laughs> we can do that. There's a couple <laughs> <of> <laughs> easy. There's some easy routes up. Have you heard of National Outdoor Leadership School? <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. I did that for two years. Oh, that's uh, cool. this summer. I
0: did uh, this I did... summer. You did? It? No, no, no. When I was, I was like kid, twenty years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. We did uh, Wind Rivers. Yeah, Wind Rivers, great. Yeah, uh, up there a lot of fly yeah. fishing. Yeah, a lot of fly fishing. And you know, it's I'm excited. Jackson's the
1: best because you have everything. You have fly fishing, golf. Polo, yeah, yeah, Polo.
0: I would never would have guessed, dude. That sounds really great. I'm really excited. I'm going on a camping trip in a couple of weeks, and it's been a while for me. It's been like uh, maybe a year, but maybe real longer since I've gone on a real camping trip. Yeah. So i'm pretty excited. Good, um, but uh, but but I was going to ask: Have you played golf? You've you've traveled a lot, and yes. you played any weird rounds of golf out there? Oh yeah, oh yeah. One I'm of my dying.
1: Okay, one of my favorite rounds, and we actually have video of this too. Was we were on a giving trip in South Africa. Okay, this okay. Is a giving trip is... Tom's giving trip. We're putting shoes on kids' feet who don't have shoes. Okay. Like, super... That must impo- be emotional. Incredibly, it, it can be. Um, and over time, I think it's gotten more, like, joyful than sad because I've seen... You know, I've seen a lot of poverty and I've seen a lot of tough things, but I've also seen the joy that comes from something simple like a pair of shoes. But this is 2007. We've only given 50,000 shoes away at this okay. point. I take, you know, my parents are there, my friends, like we're all in South Africa and we're traveling around to these different, you know, kind of um, like townships, like, you know, kind of areas that are really impoverished. And it is emotional. And it's interesting you brought that up because after a day of this, especially in the early days, you're just emotionally spent. Yeah. So you want to blow off some steam. Like, yeah. you're kind of frustrated, like, there's too much HIV here, there's this, there's these problems, like, Whoa. you're, you're and, but you need a place to, and so what we found early on is to blow off steam, we'd go to a bar, and so yeah. we're driving, we're thinking of going to this you know place in the middle of nowhere, and we drive by, and we see something, something golf pub. <laughs> I mean, literally, in the middle of nowhere. Wait, what country are we in again? In South Africa. Okay. Yeah, so we pull over, and we go, and there's literally this tiny little pub, and there's a nine-hole pitch and putt you know all par threes like goat track and they have like like the oldest clubs you've ever seen and like there's a couple of us that play golf and we are like so excited (laughs) so we pound a few beers go out there we start betting my buddy alejo who's my original partner from argentina and he thinks he's the best at everything right and so we have this bet and so luckily we were making a documentary on toms at the same time so we had some camera guys so i had this shot like 40 yards off the green and i said watch this is how you knock it in the hole true shot hit it Balance, balance in the hole and we have it on film amazing and at this course and literally it's like one of my i saw the documentary screening it's actually going to premiere i think next year oh, exciting. Um, so it's not out yet but i saw a um a cut of it the other day and it's in the documentary i'm like <laughs> yes i don't care what else is in there the greatest shot ever on the most but that course is like one of those places like i don't know how you would ever find it but right. it exists and it was like it was like it was given to us by the golf gods because we all needed that break from how intense of a emotional day we had, had. Yeah.
0: I could just see the scene where you're like sitting there like in a ninety minute screening with all these like technical <laughs> aspects of Tom's and you're like uh, I just have one note. I would look at that shot of me. <laughs> chip in. Can you put that back in and put some real triumphant music under it? Yeah. Dude, that's so cool. Yeah. That, and that's
1: one of my best memories in terms of like just totally random. The second one is, and this one actually is also on film, is my sister and I were on the TV show The Amazing Race.
0: Yes, I remember. Yeah. And
1: so season two, and uh, in The Amazing Race, we were in Namibia. I think that's right. Yeah, Namibia. Is there Namibia and Namibia? Or, it, it, or maybe it's Namibia. I don't know. You're probably getting it right. I, but we're in that country a lot of countries that is in Africa, Africa that's very hot. Sorry. Um Actually, you know what? I'm sorry. We weren't in We were in um, Australia. I mean, we were, to be we're fair.
0: In Pedy. To be fair,
1: Amazing Australia. Race is like. Wait, you yeah. were in Cooper Pedy? Yeah, yeah. What? So this is it. Yeah, yeah. So Cooper Pedy is the hottest place on the planet. I've been
0: there. Oh, you have? Yeah.
1: Have you played the golf course?
0: Dude, we just released the episode of Cooper Petey, like, uh, you know, in uh, on October. On I the Black when... Sand yes. golf course.
1: Yeah, so we were on that Amazing Race. And so one of the challenges on the Amazing Race was you had to play three holes. And in Cooper, No. Beach. Yeah. And it's like 140 degrees. You're literally, your skin is getting burnt off you. You were in the summer there. You were yeah, in the in our January. winter. January. So it's Their it summer. Is the hottest, yeah. Hottest time uh, possible. Flies everywhere. Yeah. It's so nasty. <laughs> so this is also on, you can get this from CBS. So my sister, who learned to play golf with my dad too, that's where it all came from. My dad just loves golf. Um, she doesn't play much, but my dad taught her to play as a as small girl. So it was her turn for the challenge. And I'm thinking, please, oh, I need to be hitting this golf shot, yeah, not you. Yeah. <laughs> and she hits like 130-yard shot, like perfectly, and it bounces up and goes right next to the hole. I hit it in the putt, and then we go on to win that challenge. Amazing. So those are the two most odd and triumphant golf experiences I've had. And, uh, yeah, and they're, and, we're, and they're both documented on film.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know I many people. I want to people. see your Cooper episode. I'll show it to you, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you to see it. It's actually um, one of my favorite episodes I've ever done. Really? And it was what? one of those one. I don't know, man. I mean, it's weird because we went in and we were on a time crunch. Yeah. Um, I was very uncomfortable. The heat. Yeah. We, we were, were even there, there in the winter time. Uh, it was our. It was uh, May for us, so it was uh, like. Um, so not as hot as it when I was there. No, not yeah. even nearly. Yeah, I mean Crazy. Like, I was like, what do you do with the flies when they're bad? And he was like, we, we they wear fly nets on their
1: face. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, so Sounds intense. pleasant. When you meet people from Australia <laughs> and you tell them you've been to Cooper Pedy, it's like, oh, you get so much credibility. They're like, really? You've been there? Like, tell me about it. And then yeah. you talk about the opal mining. Yeah. You talk about the golf course and they're like, oh, shit, you've been there. So here's a detail about <laughs> Cooper Pedy.
0: Uh, do you know that they have reciprocal rights with the old course? No. Swear to God. Come on. So the RNA. <laughs> yo, it's the weirdest thing ever. The RNA came down to, uh, they were in Australia, like back in the day. I, I don't know the purpose of the visit. It was probably like something to do with Royal Melbourne or, you know, some, some, yeah. I don't know, New South Wales or something. And anyway, they they are in Cooper Pedy because it's a tourist attraction. Yeah. And the opal used to be a huge business, like mining opal, which is this like iridescent stone or gem. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I don't even know what it is. But anyway, now it's just a tourist attraction, and you're like, what is this? You know, it's not worth anything. But the RNA, they were there, and they were like, we would like a mine. And they were like, well, we can help you with that. We would love reciprocal rights to the old course. <laughs> really? Have you any Augusta
1: members gone? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be really good. Have you played Augusta?
1: Once with my dad. It was amazing.
0: Yeah. Um, have you played it, Mac? I haven't. Come on. No, come on. Get up our level. <laughs> <laughs> um that's hilarious. Yeah, I have not met anyone really who's who's like played Cooper PD on a reality show that's really good. First of all, The Amazing Race is a legit Fun. show. Yeah, yeah. Like it's you need it's so you need good. like a towel around your neck to watch it. Yeah, good. Or played you know when you're talking about the Nine Hole South African course what it really touched for me on is this idea that the best adventures really hard, are hard to plan.
1: Yes, they're, they're really hard to plan. And that's that's one of the things I love about, you know, Tom's, like, on these giving trips. Like, we go with the purpose of helping people, but we always get into crazy adventures, whether it's in Nepal or Peru or Guatemala. You played golf in Nepal? I didn't play golf in Nepal, but I did some, like, crazy meditation stuff, like, in the Himalayas that I never would have planned. Right. But we were there helping people Rishikesh? with eyesight. Yeah, Rishikesh. There you go. Yeah. Um, this guy, <laughs> Jesus. I went to Rishikesh on my on my honeymoon. Actually. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other story. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. you
0: you are one of the few people that needs. And a I camera. played
1: elephant polo on my honeymoon. Did you really? Yeah.
0: So let's talk polo. No, uh, so,
2: <laughs>
0: okay. No, we're gonna we're gonna circle back for polo. We'll do that in the summer. Um, we, we, we gotta we gotta we got a few more minutes. Uh, Mac, what have you had any crazy golf adventures in your life? You you grew up in West Texas, playing in the wind. Yeah, hooking around a low draw. You've, you've come over to a fade now what, it, it, what, what <laughs> I don't what, know what it does now do you, have you had any wild traveling golf well, adventures well you know
2: growing up on the border there obviously in El Paso was, uh, right. Juarez is right there and, and uh, my whole
0: Wa- Juarez for those of us that uh... <laughs> I know I tried to do I tried to make it as <laughs> you as... tried so Juarez is this town if you're in El Paso <laughs> <it's> Ciudad Juarez Ciudad <laughs> Juarez if you're in El Paso you're in America and there's the Rio Grande mm-hmm. right there the, the big river if you're speaking Spanish I, I and love... right
2: over it, you see Juarez which is literally it looks like a flaming mess I mean, I grew up on the 15th hole of El Paso Country Club And my my house My mom's house Is probably 15 minutes from the Mexico border 8 minutes to the New Mexico border But it's in Texas Right. So there's some houses in our neighborhood That are in New Mexico and in Texas as well So you really have that blend of New Mexican culture with Mexican culture with Texan culture all in El Paso. It's a really interesting place. Wow.
0: New meaning to Tex-Mex,
2: I guess. The what is Tex-Mex, Tex-Mex Max, by the way? What is it? Is it is it's it's it? just it's uh it's a bunch of cheese, cheese, <laughs> <laughs> you know, ch- Spice <laughs> like and cheese. Mexican food and cheese. Have yeah, you have exactly. you
0: played in in Juarez or in Mexico? Or uh, yeah,
2: so I was going to say my my dad um, my dad was the head panel physician for the U.S. consulate to Mexico, so he's a public public health doctor. So immigration, you know, visa processing, all the things that you would you know. You would need to do for your to get medically screened to be able to come to the United States as a legal immigrant. You have to get a physical before you become a citizen. Oh yeah, you have to. I mean, I think it's
0: fucking Americans the, should need a physical <laughs> to stay American. Everything.
2: I mean, TB t- is a is oh. one of the biggest. Tuberculosis, Tuberculosis is one of the biggest things. So he still. actually uh, still oh yeah it's a uh, big thing in uh, developing designed and constructed the largest open-air tuberculosis clinic in the I world. just saw Blake make 180 million dollars <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I just watched Blake look up and to the left of the teepee and he actually just was on the prices right um so my so so my dad um, his father was um, the first panel physician for the US consulate to Mexico so I grew up with like you know the clinic isn't what is in Juarez, and we would I mean, I would I'd go there probably once a week. Christmases were always in Juárez. My grandmother lived there. Um, Wait, our whole so she family, lives so. in Juárez, but she uh, but she wasn't a citizen. She was a Mexican citizen. My my grandmother's from Guadalajara, and my grandfather's from Manzanillo, Mexico. And right. so um, and um, and then they came to Juárez and started this clinic. And he was like a, a really an interesting doc. His story is crazy. I mean, he was an orphan. Um, that became a physician became like a pretty famous physician in mexico and all five of his kids became professionals um kind of its own cinderella story it's amazing like he was an amazing i think he spoke like 10 11 languages um he was just incredible i mean he was like kind of raised by the communist party too in mexico the intellectuals in the back in the day in mexico were socialist communists so is that cool i'm thinking cool it's interesting he was cool i mean he was such a i mean he was a really interesting guy he's half scottish um, no shit yeah his father's name was caleb aurelius todd and so weird mexicans with the name last name todd so <laughs> my grandfather was like an incredible man and so um i would love to see a photo uh, yeah he's yeah, actually my he's, he's photo? my he's my screen that's his statue oh, well fucking hey that's yeah. like i've never had that come up so fast <laughs> yeah
0: wait this is a bronze
2: bus at the clinic yeah. it's not just uh, a photo his, have you seen this oh yeah at his
0: clinic can we get a um i don't know where this is best maybe right there yeah. yeah, that's Caleb Aurelius Todd. Well,
2: that was his father, so his that's name his was fa- Oscar. Oscar. Oscar Todd. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and so he was a, he was an amazing man and a big inspiration as and the, an entrepreneur. Uh, watch and a, the mic there, just try to. As an entrepreneur, as a physician, I mean, he was a he was an awesome guy. So my father was the only uh, doctor out of the five kids, and then he you know took over the clinic and 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 was in that. So. I was a mem we were members at uh Juarez Country Club, Campestre Juarez is called. No way. And so yeah, really amazing caddy program, like really interesting experience. And so growing up I would love up- to go there. Oh it's it's really cool. Is
0: this the same uh forgive me. Is this the same location that was used in Sicario? Yes. It is, right? Yes. Like, I mean, that, that, bridge that is border, nasty. I, I would
2: cross that bridge literally sometimes twice, two to three times a week. Did you watch Sicario and were you like, oh my God. Oh yeah. I mean, I remember sitting on that bridge so many times. Yeah, it was all filmed right there. The Such shooting a good movie. scene at the, at the top of the bridge. Such a good That's movie. kind of where my parents met at the top of that bridge. We, I didn't uh, see that. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's, it's so it's good, awesome. dude! Yeah. If you no, you guys,
1: I, I see it pop up on my Netflix thing all the time, uh, dude. Yeah.
0: It's it's a real film, yeah. Okay. And just make sure you watch it, like when you know, you got to have the sound. Yeah, yeah. It's I all. Can... It's, I think it won actually an audio award Not, because wow. the music, the, the the audio effects are intense. It's intense,
2: yeah. But that's I, you know, sorry. A well, it's 2010 when the violence got really heavy. On on that note, is uh. I mean, my family was paying like something like two $2 million a year for security detail. We'd have what? armored cars to go to lunch and to dinner and to go to the clinic. Um, you know, caravans, you know, they'd have in front and behind us, flanking us, yeah. bulletproof bulletproof doors. So yeah, it got heavy. Um, it got heavy. There was a curfew at like 8 o'clock. Um, Why my, da- my, dad got, my dad got hijacked his car. And they even made all the, they were all former Israeli military, the security that we had. And they like you know took all of his took all of his stuff and left him on the side of the road. I mean it was it was really dangerous for a while. So yeah. growing up though, I mean we would go over all the time, play golf, we'd go to dinner, um, and it, things are starting to restore at least a little bit. But yeah, definitely in 2010 it was the height. My grandfather died in 2010, and, um, and actually that was my wife's first time going to El Paso, and we were Whoa. just starting to date. And so I took her um, I took her there to meet my family. It was at my grandfather's funeral, and she was like, "This is cr-. I mean we went." code word right when you cross the bridge we had what was the code word i don't remember but we had had like 40 security (laughs) guards 40 (laughs) guys were like 40 guys were like you know big guns like standing outside because they were hitting funeral processions they were hitting there was kind of no limits it's kind of crazy it's like what you know one of the things it's
0: like the these experiences right that you've had in other countries these adventures you you do kind of come back to america Right, and you're filled with a feeling. I don't know. Do you ever get? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, sure. I mean, we all live in LA. We have wonderful lives. We're yeah. filled with like opportunity and luck, and and I I don't. I sometimes struggle with that feeling of fortune, right? Yeah. Uh, whether it's not financial necessarily in my case, but yeah, I mean, how do you? How do you? I mean, you obviously you're. Blake's in the clear cuz he's given a bunch of shit away. But me <laughs> I, I I got uh, you know I got to I got to deal with that. You know, I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like no, no, yeah. how do you how do you manage that feeling of like why am I so fortunate? I think the the,
1: the thing is is I try to, you know, frame it of, you know, to much uh, that has been given, there is great responsibility. And so not to make it real heavy, but I try to say, okay, I've been given a lot of blessings well before, you know, we had, you know, the kind of financial success we've had. And and so how can I, you know, use that, you know, that those blessings to also be responsible and help others. And you can do that in small ways. You can do that just being kind. You can do that by letting someone in on the freeway. I mean, there's so many simple ways. It doesn't have to be some huge Thing you do, but I think that that's the way that I've always looked at. Like, how can we, how can we, you know, kind of um, be in a state of enjoying our lives? Because you, you know, I think we really are truly set on this planet to enjoy what we've been given. But at the same time, understand that not everyone has been given the same opportunities. And how can I help someone? And it starts with little, and sometimes it grows into bigger things, like Tom's. But you know, anytime you're helping someone or having that mentality, I think it it allows you to kind of the the balance to work with all the stuff that you get to experience but it is it's hard i mean there's always an adjustment period when i come back from a giving trip you know and i can't wait until my kids are old enough that i can take them because i think that's going to be one of the greatest things i can give them is like perspective of like we live in this 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 fairy tale life here in topanga but you know it's not how everyone's living and 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 so there's a lot that you're you're going to ultimately be responsible for
0: yeah, and well, some of my favorite quotes have been around the idea that, uh, you know, just the incredible ex- educational experience, right, of travel and, yeah. and just how you can't replicate it and you'd be better off, you know, traveling for a day than studying for years or something. Yeah,
1: no, that you learn so much. And I think that unplanned nature, it's like having like a general idea of what you're doing, but then letting so much of it just unfold and being open to that spontaneity. Uh, it, those have been my best travel experiences for sure. Yeah. Uh, Well, we gotta we gotta uh, wind it down
0: here. Any uh, any other any topics, really quick before we end, or should we just say goodbye? I mean, I always do that, and then you know, usually we end up going for another like hour. (laughs) I (laughs) know. I wish we could. I wish we could. Well,
1: we definitely have to continue this. I feel like this should be part one. I love it. There's a lot. There's a lot to be experienced. Yeah. Uh, You know, the teepee's nice, but it would be nice doing this on a portal edge on the side of the Grand Teton.
0: I love that idea. And I'll be totally honest. I mean, Colt, here, you and I have spent a lot of time together. Have we ever met someone who has lived adventures in golf?
1: I was going to say, you guys are very similar.
0: Right. I've never seen anything like that.
1: When, when you can say, a, uh, when you can name a town in Nepal that you've been to, and be like, oh, yeah, that place. That's when you know you're on the same
0: level. Uh, do you guys have any questions for these guys? We got, we got uh, literally, we have uh, four minutes left. Hit him, quick. Uh, yes, no. What
1: always is, what are you obsessed with right
0: now? Ooh, I like that one. What are you well, obsessed with? Well,
1: I'm obsessed with my blood glucose levels. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, about two days ago, injected my stomach... So, they, you know, we got it on the, uh, I'll, t- I'll reflect people yeah. to the video, because we got that, right? Yeah, yeah. If, so if that's what I'm obsessed with right now, is understanding what foods are affecting my blood glucose.
0: If you're interested in the next level, is this even legal, Blake? Yeah, totally is it, legal. Is it, <laughs> totally he's, legal. Got, he's got, like, did you ever see Terminator, uh, uh, what is it, not Terminator, um, uh, Red Planet, where Arnold Schwarzenegger has the jewel inside of his nose? Yeah. He has that on his stomach. Anyway, you can, we have it on the vlog. <laughs> he's, you can see images of it. Mac, what are you obsessed with?
2: Uh oh, my kids right now. Solid. I think so much. I mean it's um, Halloween, right? So just for their costumes tonight and my my little boy's name is Sevi actually, so um, my oh, yeah. daughter Sophia, and so yeah, I'm, I just yeah they're. Is Sophia they're after a special. golfer,
0: or is that a family member?
2: Sophia. Yeah. Um, my wife chose the name. She's, I like she's, it. She's she's like you get I get the girl, you get the boy. It's a beautiful name. I it's a great five, name. yeah Sophia Michelle, and then uh, and then Savvy Luis after my dad after Savvy Ballesteros and my dad. I like it. I yeah. could have guessed Savvy Ballesteros. <laughs> Andrew, you're up.
0: Quick one. Let's go.
2: Uh, what are all of your kids dressing up for? Ooh, that's oh, good. So,
1: timely question. It's so funny. Yeah, Mac asked me that question when we got to the house today. My son Summit, he's almost four. He literally has changed his mind five times in the last three weeks. It went from I want to be a skeleton, so I ordered skeleton costumes on Amazon, <laughs> and then it was I want to be a leopard, and so we got in the leopard costume, which he's actually been wearing the last week to all these kind of pre-Halloween parties that my parents and wife, my wife, has taken him to. Uh, and then yesterday, a day before Halloween, with absolute conviction, he goes, Dad you and I are both going to be Superman. And I said, we don't have Superman costumes. And he says, go to your phone and get one. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I was like, okay. So I I go on Amazon, get next day delivery. I'm praying that it gets here in time for the trick-or-treating. Whoa, and we're in the sticks. Yeah, we're in the sticks. But if it doesn't, uh, we have skeleton costumes to fall back on. Um, But I'm hoping that we'll both be uh, Superman. And my daughter already... She's only one, so she didn't have a lot of uh, voice in this. But she already <laughs> had my wife had gotten her a Wonder Woman costume. So the oh. Superman thing actually could come full circle and be great. Um, but my wife's feeling a little left out because she already was on board to do the leopard thing. With right. Some of it. So she's stuck with this leopard outfit. So it might be one leopard and two Superman and one Wonder Woman. Yeah, so the well, Avengers I and
0: mean, the leopard. I mean, all I have to say is tune in next week when we see what happens. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, uh, just golfers? Or what are you going to do? Was like, no,
2: uh, <laughs> Sevi was going to be a ghost. And she's like that was going to be a cheap outfit. Just a little sheet and poke some holes in it. But I like that. He changed it up and he's, um, I don't know, he's going to be some sort of like king prince with a sword, with a shield. And my wife, you know, makeshifted something. And then my daughter's been planning for months. She's been planning her routes. We drive by a house she's like, that's a good house. That's not a good house. That's <laughs> oh, a good house. Good. <laughs> yeah, she's, like, she's ready to go. And uh, so she knows, like, she's like, I'm probably going to get 135 pieces of candy and I'm gonna eat thirty of them. and oh. I'll save the other ones for later. You can have them. Become Reese's a financial bed. planner, <laughs> yes. Morgan Stanley. If you're listening she's to this, forecasting. This is the prodigy right, right here. So she's right. gonna be a witch, and she's already like had audition. She's already like you know, shit's ready to go. Black lipstick, hat, the whole thing. I love it.
0: Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for your time, guys. I really appreciate it. So fun. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank it was you. a lot of fun. Have but a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening.